So, this podcast, is it any good? Eh, they follow some shite clubs, but it's a pretty good podcast. Unnamed Soccer Podcast. Absolutely brilliant from Liverpool. And for Barcelona, chaotic, catastrophic. A sensational start. A controversial start. And it's advantage to the Reds. The Unnamed Soccer Podcast. D. Smith, welcome in. It's the latest edition of the Unnamed Soccer Podcast. The Unnamed Soccer Podcast. Brought to you by Three Punk Ales in Chula Vista. It's also brought to you by Sport Clips, where it is good to be a guy. Darren, it is a Wednesday, Thursday, Thursday evening. A pleasure to see you. What's happening? What are we sipping on? I notice you and I both have some Buena Vases. The Buena Vesa Social Club continues during the week, does it not? Yeah, since you and I were at MCAS Miramar on Sunday, there were a couple of extra Buena Vesas at the end of that outstanding watch party, San Diego Loyal, Los Dos, Sunday at 5 p.m. We were lucky. We were, we were gifted some Buena Vesa on our way out. So that is, that is still here in the Smith household for now. It's not going to last long, though, I can tell you that. Uh, yeah, it will not last very long over here, but that is what I'm uh, sipping on tonight. So... We have a lot to discuss. We have a special guest on the podcast tonight. That's always a lot of fun. Uh, we're pretty much going to talk with our guest the whole time. And that's our podcast. That's what we're doing. Um, I like that. Those who uh, follow along with Match Day Live and follow along with San Diego Loyal, you know our guest very well. His name is Sean Kelly. Although he goes by Virtual Statman. You'll find him on Twitter with that handle. And um, he's not the only one in his camera shot. This is just a podcast, so it's just the audio that's being delivered to everyone. But, Sean, I would love for you to paint the picture right now. Yeah, so I've been joined by StatCat tonight, um, who never misses an opportunity to, to um, encroach upon a Zoom meeting uh, tonight, no exception. Um, StatCat's here to talk about, um, you know, Morgan Hackworth's uh, metrics, um, you know, percentage of successful press in the opposition half. Probably. Um, well, StatCat would probably provide more analysis than like a match day live would. So there you go. That actually would be a pretty good <laughs> guest for us. Um, uh, I feel like we're very underdressed and not really up to Sean's level based on the recording setup for tonight. No, that's not true. I'm wearing I'm wearing workout clothes. I don't know what if if, if I'm overdressed. I don't really want to see the rest of what you're wearing or not wearing, yeah. as the case may be. Well, I feel like Jordan, you're saying like he's overset. Right. So like you and well, I, the fact that he's on a set. Yeah. Like yes. he has a real set. Like Sean Kelly's like a real professional broadcaster who's involved in F1 racing and he's beaming all over the world. And he's got an actual TV set that he's using for zoom. Now, Jordan has put a palm tree up in the background. Me, I'm not doing any fancy schmancy stuff, but Sean's got like a real, Sean and StatCat have like a real green screen where they can take you all over the world and have you at races and the Monaco Grand Prix, all sorts of fun stuff. To be fair, Darren would have a virtual background going. He just probably doesn't know how to turn it on. Fair? Yeah, very easy. I mean, ah, oh, damn it. I was wrong. I take it all back. I take it all back. They, they, well, the beer is genuine, though. The beer is yeah. definitely real. Yes. The, uh, the stat man and the stat cat in the house for the unnamed soccer podcast. It is a pleasure to have you on. Thank you for inviting me. I am flattered to have been 
handed the invite tonight. Yes. Um, of course, we could talk SD Loyal, and we will. But we want to talk about how you are the next Steven Spielberg. Oh, no. <laughs> Please, don't, don't even... Don't even go there. Um, okay. I, am, I am definitely not a filmmaker, um, although I have made a film now about soccer, about, about one of the most, I would think, important stories in fan history to do with soccer in this country or, or in every other country, not just, not just a US story. But um, yeah, I, I certainly won't be introducing myself as a filmmaker from now on. Um, it's, I, I, I'm tearfully announcing my retirement from filmmaking tonight on the Unnamed Soccer Podcast. You've got the world exclusive. <laughs> well, that's a little bit of a letdown. I thought I was going to ask what was part two. Um, well, okay, that's fine. You have to introduce yourself as a filmmaker, though. You don't really get to say I just made a film and I'm not a filmmaker. I agree with Darren on yeah. that one. Yeah, I mean, in, in this context, I, I get it. I mean, for those who are listening who don't know what we're talking about, um, I just made a film called Save the Crew, The Battle for Columbus, which is about the successful, against all the odds, struggle for the fans of the Columbus Crew Soccer Club to prevent their team from being relocated by their rather greedy and overzealous owner to Austin, Texas, back in 2018, um, which much was made about it at the time but very little was um, caught on camera, it seems, by everybody, judging by the programming that has gone out about the subject subsequently. There's been books on the subject and so on, but uh, when it comes to programming, very, very little is... is it, it, there's, there's very little in it other than talking heads, talking retrospectively about what happened. I was the only person who was on the inside filming outwards, so I got all of the major... Um, events in that storyline from start to finish, both in Columbus and in Austin, and um, thus, I I don't think it's probably it's not probably not being too self-aggrandizing by saying that this film is the definitive story of the subject because no one else has any other footage. So, you know, if it's not in this film, it basically didn't happen because I was the only one in the room shooting with the camera. How was that documentarian? How about we just go with documentarian Sean Kelly instead of filmmaker? But how was it, Sean, that you did end up with all of this exclusive video? Because this is a really interesting part of the story. And, and without it, we don't know how history, I mean, literally history is, is potentially changed without some of the footage that you had exclusively. Well, it was an accident. And, you know, when I say I'm not a filmmaker, that's not that's not false modesty. I mean, I'm genuinely don't consider myself a filmmaker. I do know how to do it because I worked in TV nearly 20 years, but um, how it came about was my wife's from Columbus. And at the time I was living in Columbus, it was, um, it was three years when I was not in San Diego. And um, when the Save the Crew movement started, um, I knew a couple of the fans, the, you know, the regulars at the game, and they were part of the Save the Crew movement. And they, they put out an appeal for, for people to volunteer time and skills. And I thought to myself, well, I don't really know much. I don't really know anybody in Columbus. Like, I can't connect people here. Um, I can't be influential in that way. But I could shoot a short film because it seemed to me at the time, this is November 2017, so this is like a, the first month after it became public. It seemed to me that Major League Soccer and the, the media at large were concentrating on the Austin side. Like, wow, wouldn't it be amazing if we had a Major League Soccer team in Austin? Um, and look at all the, the benefits it would have. It's this, 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 and this. Wonderful. And no one seemed to be saying, hang on a minute, 
you've had 25 years in Columbus, what about all them? What are they going to do? Like, do they not matter anymore? Is it, you know, is this the shiny thing? Look at the shiny thing. Don't look at the, don't look at the community we built for 25 years that we're now just going to say, okay, thanks for everything. Bye. So I started filming and, um, yeah, initially it was supposed to be 10 or 15 minutes, just a short film to put out on YouTube and sort of say point international interest to it. Um, and then when I started filming, I thought, you know what? There's no one else here. Like there's no one else here with a camera. If I stop, this never happened. You know, most of this stuff will never get documented. So I kept on going and it became clear as, as I went along that this is a really complicated thing to explain. Like it, it, it would take longer than 15 minutes to explain this. So, uh, so I kept on going and um, yeah, I, I, as I kept on going, I felt more and more responsibility to keep going. Cause I thought I, I've kind of got the entire, all these fans that I filmed with, I, I'm carrying the story of the struggle to save their team, which is the reason they all know each other. They came together as a community because of the Columbus crew. And if I stop, then I feel like I'm letting them down. And, you know, I'm not getting paid for it, but it's like, that's my contribution to the Save the Crew story. But it actually reached a point where they worried that I wasn't going to tell their story because I started going and filming in Austin as well. Because I said, you know, there's two sides to it. There must be something happening in Austin. I've got to go to Austin as well. So I did that as well. And uh, at that point, it, then it was like a, oh dear, it was like doing peace in the Middle East. It was, it was like, okay, how do, I, how do I balance the needs of diplomacy in both cities and still get this film made? Uh, yeah, that was, that was fun. <laughs> I, uh, I totally understand why the supporters wanted the story to be told. I'm curious uh, how much the club actually, how much access they gave you. How helpful was the club throughout the process with allowing you into rooms, allowing you to film certain things? How accessible the, were they? The club were um, thoroughly unaccommodating throughout. Um, for as long as Anthony Precourt, Precourt Sports Ventures was in charge of the club, they didn't give me anything. Um, they... Uh, I, I tried several times to get Andy Lochnane, who was the president of business operations, who appears in the film in audio form. Uh, I tried to get him to sit down with an interview with me several times. I, I put multiple requests in from multiple directions to Anthony Precourt to get him to talk to me. No one was talking to me. And then Major League Soccer banned, uh, for 2018, they banned having large lens cameras. So you couldn't bring in your big camera. Um, so the first game I shot there, November 2017, I had my proper camera. And then after that, it was like, okay, the only thing I can bring in is the phone. So uh, everything that was shot in the stadium in 2018 uh, in Columbus was shot using a phone that was just upscaled to 4K, like, because people didn't realize that back then you could upscale it. It was, it was shooting in HD, but you could actually upscale it to 4K. So I thought, okay, well, upscale the 4K and I'll smuggle in my uh, professional microphones. So I'll smuggle those in and then mic people up. Um, and then it's amazing what you can get away with, actually, if you've got good audio. If the audio is good, you can get away with substandard video. It's, it's surprising. People think it might be the other way around, but it's really not. Like people, your, your ears will cover what your eyes don't see properly. And um, yeah, you really don't notice that a lot of the, uh, the in-stadium sequences were shot using, a, using an iPhone. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's simple as that. Because you know, an iPhone is pretty good in day in daylight conditions. Not as good as a proper camera, but um, but the main thing was we got good sound, so you really feel like you're there and in the stadium and feeling the emotion of it.
I love the idea of going to Austin too, just to see, you know, Hey, let's be thorough here. Let's check it out. You know, the, the whole save the crew movement was sort of in a lot of people's viewpoint, Sean was sort of something that was just a hashtag on Twitter, you know, for us who live here in San Diego or people who are listening to this, I know, you know, even you sharing it on different channels and, and having people view it and experience it around the world. But what did Save the Crew mean actually in Columbus? And like, how realistic did people think the chances were of actually saving it? Keeping in mind also, by the way, Jordan and I are here in San Diego and we live through the Chargers experience, which is different, but it's, an, it's still an important story. You know, like relocation is like a real shit thing about sports in this country. Something I'm sure that's a new concept for you being from England. But like, what, what did Save the Crew mean in Columbus? For most of us, it was just a hashtag. Well, obviously, it was a it was a living, breathing event in Columbus, um, and I mean, it's funny you say it was just a hashtag to you, which in 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 a, in a way is the very reason why I ended up making a film, because we said, look, everyone in Columbus knows what this is. Like, we're preaching to the choir. There's no point in selling this concept to people in Columbus. They get it already. What are you going to do with getting the wider audience? Because the crew's not going to help you. They don't want to promote this. And they want to promote this wonderful, shiny new thing in Austin. Um, and the same with Major League Soccer. Like, they don't, they, they're going to pretend for the next 12 months that Columbus doesn't exist as a city, let alone a team. Um, so it's very real in Columbus. And I think that comes through in the film. Um, and it, 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 I, I, you know, I felt it was morally wrong and... You know, to someone from Europe, the idea of relocating a club is, is madness. We had it, it with famously with Wimbledon in 2003 when they were relocated to Milton Keynes. And I don't think, I've got to say that I remember that as it was happening. And I think we were all, many of us were so bemused by the very concept, like moving a team. Are you mad? No one does that. That's just not a thing. No, that's, that's stupid. Um, and admittedly, admittedly, in the Wimbledon case, they were in financial dire straits and, and all that sort of stuff. And, and, they, and they didn't have a home because they'd left Plough Lane in like 1991 and they'd played 12 years as tenants at Selhurst Park, which is the home of Crystal Palace. Um, so they didn't have a place to play for more than a decade and, and so on. So there were some extenuating circumstances. But even then, to this day, people in England look at Milton Keynes, Dons, and think, ah, franchise FC. That's what they disparagingly call them. Like, oh, look at that. <laughs> you can just move a team from one place to another and just carry on, you know. Um, and, and the funny thing is, is that, of course, AFC Wimbledon was founded by the fans, the locals in Wimbledon, and they, are, they became a league club, and the two teams eventually played each other. But in England and in Europe, you have that ability. Like, you can set up a, 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 you know, a, a Phoenix club rising from the ashes and actually get up get promoted back into the, the top divisions. In, in the United States, we don't have that because we have all this closed league stuff. Um, and yeah, I mean, I don't need to explain to San Diego Chargers fans how that goes because, you know, if, if an owner in this country can make one more dollar moving his team elsewhere, he'll do it. Yeah, I mean, but that's the thing, like from, from Jordan and me working in local sports media, like I remember Save the Bolts. And, you know, I, I don't doubt their sincerity that they weren't trying to save their football team. But I also felt like a large part of that was we're venting here, like we're venting. And, you know, not to say it was just a hashtag, you know, just just for most of us. Like, yeah, like I support it. Let's, you know, save the crew. 
But how much of it was like a, a like a genuine? Like how much did people genuinely believe that they were going to save the Columbus crew? Versus how much of it was just we're protesting this and you're not going to take this thing away from us. You're not going to go quietly. You're not going to ignore us, MLS. You're not going to ignore us, Don Garber, pre-court. You know what I mean? Like, like, like how much of them, like how much of that was like real, real movement? I mean, obviously it worked. Like, like what was the balance on that? Uh, no, I never found anybody who would say out loud that they didn't think it would work. But I, I, I think that that was there was a lot of bravado in there. I think a lot of us were thinking privately, but we didn't want to say out loud, our chances here are slim. It right. doesn't normally, what the owner wants and what the league wants, the league gets. Um, and who are we? I keep saying we as though I personally involved. I was not involved in saving the crew. I always say to people, I did not save the crew. I just pointed a camera at the people who did. That was it. I saved the story of the save the crew. I did not save the crew myself. But... Speaking within Columbus, I think the, the, the feeling was our chances are slim. We've got to keep trying because if we don't try, we'll definitely fail. And we've got 30 years after this to mull over the fact that we lost. But for the time being, the team is here. Let's do everything we can to, to stop this moving from moving. Um, and, you know, the, the, ultimately, the, 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 the ultimate card that, that, that they played was the, the Modell Law which of course was the relocation, the, the law that Ohio passed, state law, after uh, Cleveland Browns were relocated to Baltimore, which no one remembered until Save the Crew actually uncovered it and, and brought it up um, with state representatives who then put it to the attorney general, who at the time was Mike DeWine, who's now the governor of Ohio, uh, who also appears in the film. Um, and that was the thing whereby the MLS were painted thoroughly into a corner at that point because they had, there was so much, so much that Save the Crew had done in terms of addressing lack of season tickets, lack of corporate support. Um, the, the fact that the stadium was really falling apart. The stadium was derelict. Um, you know, why, it, it, was, it was not a fun place to go to watch a game. Um, they did all of that and then threw on the table, by the way, you're also breaking the law by moving this team. <laughs> and at which point... The NFL and all the other closed leagues in this country must have gone to the MLS commissioner's office and say, make this go away. I don't care if you have to give them two teams. Make this law go away. Do not have this law tested in court because if it is upheld, every state in the nation will pass this law and we will instantly lose 25% of the value of our sport, of our franchises, because we will no longer be able to hold a gun to cities' heads and say, we're moving to LA, we're moving to Las Vegas, we're moving to Austin. And of course, the very thing is happening now with Buffalo. The Buffalo Bills now say, well, if you don't build us a new stadium with all the trimmings and then give it to us and let us make all the money on it, we're going to move to Austin. And because they want to move to Austin, because Los Angeles has been done, Las Vegas has been done, so now Austin's the hot new thing. Now let's move everything to Austin. <laughs> it's, um, it's a roller coaster story for the supporters, of course. Um, what was the low point for the supporters, you think? Or at least the low point that you captured on video. Hmm, that's a good question. I've not really thought about it. I'm, I'm, as amazed as amazing as it seems, I've never actually thought about what was the real low point. Um, there's a scene in the film which is in the middle of a U.S. Open Cup game. Um, I don't know if you guys have actually had a chance to, to watch the film yet, but um, there's a scene in it where I film with a girl called Kennedy, who everyone knows as Kruby, and it's a U.S. Open Cup game against I think it was Chicago. 
and there was maybe 4,000 people there in a 20,000 seat stadium. And this is in June of 2018. So I remember thinking that night, like, I feel like everyone's given up. Like there's only 4,000 of us here. No one wants to come here because it, they know if they buy a ticket here, that money is being used to promote the idea of moving the team to Austin. So no one wants to come here. The stadium, like there was no, just small stuff as if to say, screw you crew fans. Like there was no condiments. Like if you bought a hot dog, like, okay, there's no ketchup. Um, you want a bag of M&Ms? Sorry, we're all out. You know, it's half an hour before the kickoff. We haven't got any left. Um, go to the bathrooms. Like the bathroom doors are off their hinges. And, no one, and, and it's been three weeks. It's been three weeks and it was, it was like that three weeks ago and no one's fixed it. Just stuff like that. Um, and I, I remember thinking that night, like, this is, it's tough to refute this. You know, I'm glad I'm filming this and getting... The, the, the annoyance of the whole thing. But at the same time, I, I, I don't know how it must look to the outside world when they, they say, well, let's see how, how people are supporting the team in Columbus. And they turn on the TV and there's 4,000 people there and it just looks like no one cares. Um, so that was a low point. And I think also the day of the vote in Austin, which is most definitely in the film, that, that, that takes up the, the first half of episode three, the final episode that's on Copa 90. Um, the day of that vote, I was the only person from Columbus in the room. And I, I've, I've definitely felt a sense of en entering enemy territory because everybody knew where I was from and what I was doing. And I tried to give everybody a fair hearing. I was desperate to make sure that my personal opinion did not leak over into the filmmaking. But they all knew whose side I was on. And... Um, the, the way that day went down, I definitely felt like like they have this juggernaut of mon lobbying money and the league's blessing and everything all in this room. And having come from Columbus where no one gave a crap, like, like the, the league didn't give a crap and the owner of the club didn't give a crap. It, like no one cares and because every, everyone cares about what's happening in this room in Austin. And I was struck by the, the contrast of... Like they, they, they've just completely given up on Columbus. They don't, they don't care anymore. Um, but again, that spurred me on. I just thought, well, I'm, until you knock me over, until you arrest me, I'm not switching the camera off. Um, which is how I ended up getting the scenes that I did in the film because no one could <laughs> tell me to stop. Uh, so I, the, when we did the premiere in Columbus, there was a lot of, I noticed there was a lot of gasps uh, in certain scenes. And I think the gasps were, I can't believe he has this on film as opposed to what was actually be, you know, the, the plot line or anything like that. It was just like, oh, you, this, he's got this. Oh my God, I didn't know this footage existed. Um, so that happened a lot, which was very gratifying because there was a lot of scenes where Anthony Precourt squirming in his seat. And so he should, because <laughs> that was the first time someone had pointed a camera in his face and said, yes, you, sunshine, this is your doing. Well, Anthony Precourt is, is clearly the bad guy here, right? Like he's the villain in this story. But what about the city of Austin? What about the people of Austin? You know, I flip on a television and I see Austin FC and I see Matthew McConaughey and it looks great. Thankfully, Columbus also looks great. You were there when they opened up a new stadium. But what, what role does the soccer supporter of Austin play in all of this? What role does the city of Austin play in all of this? Again, like real easy to say the owner, right? We've lived that. 
I know who the bad guys are here. I know that the league sometimes paves these roads as well, financial enticements, all that sort of stuff. It's a real crummy thing that, that the leagues do too. But what about that city? What, what, what about them? Well, the first thing I would say is that as much as Anthony Precourt is, is portrayed as the antagonist in the film, I, I don't think he was as... Uh, you know, he wasn't the, the sole operative of that whole thing. Clearly it happened with the league's blessing. So Don Garber has a role to play in that as well. And also uh, Dave Greeley, who appears in the film in, in archive form. I, I didn't actually get him on camera myself, but um, I suspect Dave Greeley was actually the mastermind because he'd previously worked in Chicago with the MLS team there and um, had, had been beaten from pillar to post. Sorry, I know the question was at Austin. I will get to it. But uh, the Dave Greeley part, I really wish I could have expanded upon that because he he had been an executive for the Chicago Bears NFL team. And when he was, he, all he would do in the meetings with the big teams in Chicago, the Bulls and the Blackhawks and the White Sox and blah, 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 he would just constantly run MLS Day in the Chicago Fire MLS team. And then by an amazing quirk of fate, he ended up as an executive of the Chicago Fire MLS team, at which point the boot was on the other foot and now he was getting the stick beaten sort of stuff. So after that, I suspect what happened was he, he left that job having not really got anywhere with it. And I think what happened was his ego was smart and he thought, what if, God, if only we had an MLS team in this largest city that didn't have a pro sports team. I wonder what the largest city in America is without a pro sports team. Huh. It's, it's the state capital in Texas. And I wonder if he went to Don Garber and said, Don, I've got a great idea for you. What about soccer in Austin? And Don Garber says, well, that's great, but there's no one pushing for soccer in Austin right now. All right, well, leave it with me. He went away and found Anthony Precourt, who loved the city of Austin, and thought, hey, I've got a great idea for you. What do you think about this? Okay, yeah, fine, but the expansion fee, not happy on that. Garber comes back and says, look, tell you what, buy the crew. We've been looking for a buyer for that for ages. If you can't do anything there, yeah, my blessing to move it to Austin. I think that's how it came together. So Precourt was kind of the bag man. He was just the, the money guy. I think Greeley was probably the mastermind. Anyway, with that said, wow. <laughs> um, I couldn't put that in a film because I didn't have any footage to back up that theory and I didn't have any cast iron proof that that's how it went. But back to the Austin thing. Um, the fans in Austin, I feel there have been some time since this film went out where I've thought I've, maybe I owe them an apology for not fully explaining their side. Because I read the comments under the YouTube uh, clips that have gone out. And it's, you know, there's thousands of them, but um, I do think to myself, perhaps I haven't explained to international fans that the franchising system in this country means you kind of have to take the opportunity when it comes. It's not like form your own club and build it. Um, and San Antonio was pushing for MLS, uh, you know, at the same time, which is, is not in the film because it was just too esoteric to put in. But they probably felt like this was our only shot at it. And then I, and then I, and then I sort of swing back and think, nah, nah, they should have set their own team up. Screw them. They shouldn't, <laughs> they, they were total carpet baggers, a lot of them. But um, I, I did try and approach it with a sympathetic eye and think, look, let's play devil's advocate. I don't agree with them, but tell the story. Um, but none of this would happen if we didn't have the franchising system, if we had a more European based system. The problem is it, that's, that's um, slightly pie in the sky. Because if you've got promotion and relegation in soccer in this country and you are, you know, you're, you're a sponsor and you think, right, I've got $5 million to spend. Who shall I sponsor? Well, you could sponsor the San Diego Padres and get guaranteed big league baseball for the next X amount of years. Or you could, you know, you could say have San Diego Loyal. Let's say San Diego Loyal or an MLS team by that point. I could give you the money, but you can't guarantee me that next season we're, in, we're being relegated, you know. 
So that's a harder sell. And then you've got the NBA and you've got um, uh, you know, the, the NFL and you've got, uh, what else am I missing? You've got NASCAR. Like there's so many major, major sports leagues in this country competing for entertainment dollars that we don't really have in Europe because football, soccer is king of the hill. It's not the king of the hill in, in North America. And that's just an unfortunate financial reality. I would love to see promotion and relegation but financially, it's a very difficult thing to achieve unless all the leagues do it, and they won't. So um, I understand why MLS has to do that. And that, that is not, that, that doesn't make a great film. Like explaining that reality doesn't make a great film. But I, I did have a sense of sympathy with the Austin supporters because they thought, as many people would have done, they looked at Columbus and thought, it's empty. No one cares. What, like, who are we upsetting? Like, we'd have 20,000 a game here in Austin. There's 4,000 people in Columbus, and they've been there 25 years. Clearly, no one cares. Um, uh, so that gets explained out in the film, of course. But um, I, I did have, again, I didn't agree with them, but I did think to myself, those are valid points. They're va I disagree with them, but they are valid points, and I feel like they need to be, they need to be um, addressed. Like they, they, they are things where you think, yeah. That's legit. Let's let's talk about the uncomfortable truth that things in Columbus are not going as well as some people want us to report that, that they're going. Yeah. Should I feel bad for the uh, the uh, as a big USL lifelong USL championship fan that I am, as Jordan knows and Sean, as you know, should I feel bad for the uh, the Austin USL club? Like, do they have any chance now that you have an MLS team there? Well, full disclosure, uh, Bobby Epstein, who's the owner of the Austin Bowl, is uh, a a strong acquaintance of mine because he's also the owner of the circuit of the Americas where the US Grand Prix is held. So we actually, we'd never met each other until I shot this film. And the first day I met him, I was sitting in his office getting, saying, look, I want to film this, that, and the other about the Austin Bowl. But funny story, Bobby, my day job is Formula One. Um, uh, so yeah, we, we, we got on well because we had plenty in common. Um, certainly the, the plan was he, he Bobby Epstein's um, explanation was, I was told by the, the commissioner's office, go away, show that Austin is a viable market for MLS, come back when you've done it. Perfectly reasonable. So he thought, okay, I'll do that. So then he had the USL rights and he sat on them for several years because he thought, mm, I can't find the right location for this. Because previously they played in a high school stadium and they couldn't sell beer. So if they, they found it very difficult to get people to come to the games because they couldn't sell alcohol. Um, and then while he was trying to work out what he was going to do with it, Precourt suddenly rolled into town with his MLS to ATX juggernaut. And suddenly it was like, whoa, hang on a minute. You told me I had to make Austin a viable market. And all of a sudden, um, you're just moving one here. Um, what am I to do with that? So, um, yeah, it was an awkward situation, to put it mildly. Um, I mean, the Austin Bold story doesn't appear in the film. We did we filmed two days of we did two days of filming there. But we cut it. I cut it. I cut it in the end because I just thought it's not to do with the crew. You know, it's 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 more like, am I making a film called Soccer in Austin or am I making a film called <laughs> the Crew? Um, I could have made either film with the amount of footage I had. Um, I feel but I, sorry, Darren. I said I feel bad for the USL team there. Yeah, I mean it's it's. Uh, I mean, I guess it is a bit of a piranha club. It, it is, you know, cutthroat stuff. It's 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 a big boys game, isn't it? And you know they. When Precourt's going to have that kind of opportunity as an investor, as a cold-hearted investor, 
it's, it'd be very, very difficult for him to turn down the financial terms of how that came about. Yeah. Um, and it's it's also easy, as I said, to think, well, if we're moving a club that's failing and no one cares about, then I'm not going to be the bad guy, am I? Perhaps he underestimated that um, because he didn't know Columbus. He, he you know, he even said the day he was unveiled, I've, not, I've really not been to Columbus very much. I don't know the place very well. Huh. Um, so uh, he probably thought that he was going to be the, the white knight, you know. And I suppose in Austin he is. He's regarded as this sort of, this... You know, he's he's the he's the daddy bearing in Austin. He's the guy who brought the major league soccer. And I must say, full disclosure again, what they've done in Austin looks fantastic. I mean, you have to agree. You you watch those yeah. games in Austin. It looks it the place is rocking. It looks like the hottest ticket in major league soccer right now. Um, so w- when all said and done, uh, Anthony Precourt looks like he's done an amazing job in Austin. It's just a shame he ever got involved in Columbus because if they'd just given him expansion in Austin to begin with, people would say, wow, Anthony Precourt is the model owner. That's exactly the guy you want. Look what he's built there. It's fantastic. And he didn't have to have any of this baggage of dealing with Columbus. Um, but but on, the, on, the, on the bright side, Columbus is revolutionized as well. So everybody ended up winning out of it, you know, because as I said, the Columbus Stadium was falling to bits. It wasn't a place where you really wanted to go for a game. The first time I went there in 2015, I thought it was out of date then. I thought, wow, okay, <laughs> this is like, what is this, like 30 years out of date? Oh, my God. Um, the next game I went to was at the Red Bull Arena in what is actually New Jersey. And I just thought, oh, well, this is a Premier League, like eight ways from Sunday. The Red Bull Arena, it's a Premier League stadium. I just thought, wow, the Columbus is so far behind. And now they're not. Now the new stadium is, now that's Premier League. And you think, wow, okay, it was, it was a long process to get here. But what we've ended up with is a great leap forward for the, for the, oh. for the sport in this country. Because now oh. soccer fans are going and getting a European atmosphere at these games. Um, it was so loud in that crew stadium, the new crew stadium, lower.com field. Um, somebody had a the decibel meter on their watch and it hit 120 at one point. It was so loud. I mean, it was, we were all looking at each other like, I mean, it's so loud, I've got to hear ourselves. <laughs> Whereas in the old stadium, it didn't have a roof or anything. We, we were like, well, the, sta- you know, the atmosphere doesn't stay in. Now, now it, oh we are, boy, does it stay in now. It's fantastic. So um, it, it, I do appreciate that Garber has a job to do in that regard. He can't stay, he can't live in the past. Um, so, you know, again, I'm, I'm, I know I'm not, I know fans wouldn't agree with me, but in terms of big business, everybody won out in the end. Sean, tell us uh, what kind of reaction you've gotten, the most common reaction. Uh, and I guess if you're willing, what kind of reaction you expected to get versus what you actually did receive. And then uh, also make sure to tell everyone where they can actually find it and watch it. Yes. Notwithstanding that I just pulled my cable out, so I couldn't hear what you said, but I heard the bit about where can you watch it. Well, it's Save the Crew, The Battle for Columbus. It's, uh, it's actually in three parts on the Copa 90 Stories YouTube channel, which is their big channel, 1.3 million subscribers now, um, which is yeah, getting up there. Um, and, and fun for me, because I, I was making a film that I thought maybe like eight people would watch it ever. And so far, you know, 55,000 people have watched the episode. So. Well, that was actually the first part of my question that you missed. It was, what's the reaction been? And then kind of compare it to the reaction you expected, which you're telling me you really didn't expect much reaction and you're getting a bunch. 
Well, for two and a half years, the footage sat on my desk, on a, just on this very desk I'm, I'm next to right now, um, in a portable, on a portable drive. No, and I knew like, okay, that's the whole story. The whole story is sitting on my desk and only my desk. No one else has got the footage. Um, so I thought when this eventually goes out, like, am I, what am I going to do? Put it on my own personal YouTube page and like eight people will watch it. Um, is any, does, will anyone actually care? And thankfully when I went to Copa 90 and showed them a couple of clips of what I had, like instantly they were like, whoa, 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 wait, what, what are we doing? Wait, 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 we have to find a place to put this on. Is this, this is a film? Oh, holy crap. We have to put this out. Um, what did you show them? Just out of curiosity. I showed them, I showed them, the, uh, I showed them some of the footage I shot in stadium at the time. I showed them um, the pre-court footage at the Austin City Council vote. Um, and I showed them that, you know, obviously it had been filmed in Columbus and in Austin as it was happening. It wasn't done retrospectively, but it was happening as the whole thing was going down. Um, and they instantly recognized the value of it and like, look, we've got to find a spot for this where it will go in our release schedule because this is too important to turn down. Um, and then second of all to that, you know, not only did people watch it, but they really, the, the reaction has been overwhelming. I, I couldn't, I, I genuinely, I, and I, I, I'm not being modest when I say this, I genuinely feel imposter syndrome um, reading the reactions to a film that I've made. Because I, as I said, I'm not a filmmaker. It's not my day job. Um, and seeing how many positive remarks there have been and that um, it looks like it's going to go into some festivals and you know it might do South by Southwest next year just as a sort of special category sort of thing. And, oh, interesting. Uh, there's, yeah, we've, those dis we've had those discussions. That's not confirmed, but they've, you know, there are talks along those lines. So, like, okay, the very fact that someone's interested is like, wow. Like, I don't make films. This is, this is a one-hit wonder for me. You know, this is not anywhere where I thought my career was going to go. Um, and yeah, to hear that, you're just like, wow. Okay, <laughs> this is the only film I ever make. You know what? I need to make sure this is the only film I ever make because I will not get a better reaction with my next film. What if I made another film? I don't. I couldn't get a better storyline because this was so ready-made. Like I couldn't mess this up. This was like cold pizza in a storyline. It was like team with you know unfashionable team from unfashionable place saves saves the team from moving saves it from a millionaire, saves it from the league, um, ends up with a new stadium, wins the championship. You know, it was like everything from a Hallmark movie all piled in as a real story. So, of course, it's going to be a feel-good film. How could you mess that up as a filmmaker? You can't. You just show them what happened. And it's just like, wow, I can't believe that's a real story. So, again, tremendously lucky. that Because I, I thought when I was filming it, like, there's no way that, that they're not going to save this team. We, we genuinely had a, a discussion where we thought we need to plan for a stakeout at this stadium because there could come a scene where we're shooting at 3 a.m. as they take the removal trucks out the back and drive everything out off to Austin. Um, because that had happened to the Cleveland Browns apparently in 95, I think it was, when they moved to Baltimore. That, that had genuinely happened. I thought, well, that might be how this film ends. Um, so oh. we, we were prepared for the worst. And, and if, if you see in the film that the day the crew were saved, we were busy doing other stuff. And that is, that is depicted in the film. We were busy in, the, in doing another interview about something else when suddenly our phone started ringing in the middle of the interview. 
and it was like, okay, stop, cut. We have, we have to stop. Like, and we both, we start checking our phones. It's like, oh, wow, something, something massive is happening outside. We need to go out, we need to get outside and find out what's going on. Um, and I thought, well, I don't know, the only way I can depict that is by telling it exactly like that. I can't cover it up. We've just got to say in mid-interview, we're stopped and suddenly, it's like, go to Endeavor Brewing. Something massive is about to happen. Um, so, yeah, what a, what a crazy way to end up as a filmmaker. I never imagined being on imdb.com, and yet here we are, eh, folks? <laughs> I love it. And it's, it's you know, it's, it's like quintessential about the sport, right? Like, I don't know that you could save other teams and other sports in this country. I don't know if this is unique to Columbus. I don't know if this is unique to Major League Soccer. I don't know if this is... Unique to soccer, you know, just even given what happened recently with the whole Super League nonsense. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's like a feel good when fans oftentimes feel very helpless, you know, that their franchise, even the term franchise that we use, you know, there's there's just something like it's such an important story that I want to share with every sports fan as somebody who does sports radio, who focuses on football and baseball to say, you know, you have more of a voice than you think. You don't have to take all of this just lying down. Right. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you there. I mean, we've had that. We've had that in Europe. For instance, Liverpool raised their ticket prices by umpteen percent a couple of years ago, and then all of the supporters agreed. Okay. Well, in the 81st minute, we're all walking out, and in the 81st minute, everybody got up and walked out. And a week later, the club backed down because they were like, okay, if you're not here, you're, you know, in the most cynical. If you want to use the absolute most cynical language, they're props in this giant television extravaganza. And you've seen how lifeless a stadium is with no, no fans in the stadium for the last year. Um, so if they don't show up, then, you know, you, you've lost a lot of your brand because who cares? Um, so, yeah, supporters do have a lot of say if they, if they club together and, and, and work, dare I say it in this country, as a union. Um, they, they, they do have a lot of sway. And one thing I object to is when, when a team introduces themselves as we are your, whatever they are, you know, San Diego Padres, or we're your Columbus crew, except when they're not. When, when suddenly there's more money to be made elsewhere, when suddenly they become someone else's team. Um, yeah, that, that always annoys me. So maybe, who knows, maybe I'm being, maybe I'm being slightly um, whimsical, but perhaps business people who operate in an income bracket and a society that we don't that we don't inhabit normal people maybe they'll watch this film and think wow i didn't realize it had that much of an effect on people and, and communities that's actually what ultimately i am the custodian over it's not just a business but it's also a, it's a community asset for the city you know it, as the charges were here i wasn't a particular charges fan but i know loads of people were here and I, I, I rather enjoy them. I rather enjoy watching the charges faffing around in Los Angeles um, as the poorer relation because I think they're getting their just desserts. Um, so I take immense pleasure in seeing it all go horribly wrong for them because you know, so it should. Good luck to them. Sean, you're an amazingly successful filmmaker. Congratulations <laughs> to you on the new title. Um, oh wait, wait! I'm sorry. I've got a, I've got something to show you here, which is this is going to work really well on a podcast. But I, I shall. If we want to do a radio commentary on this, guys, there we go. Check that out. Yeah. What is describe. it? It's it's an Oscar. That's an Oscar. Yeah. 
a real Oscar? That's not a real Oscar. It's not, it's not a real Oscar. No, someone <laughs> gave it to me the day after the premiere. It says best documentary okay. 2021. I do know people. You know, people are going to listen to this and they'll be like, Jordan didn't know what an Oscar was. He's showing you an Oscar. And he's like, what right. is that? It, yeah, it's a little it's bit a, far away, a little bit far away from the camera. But yes, <laughs> I was given that. I was like, there you go. That's the closest I'm going to get to an Oscar. Someone, someone got me a fake Oscar and gave it to me the next morning. So, yeah. Well, congr- you're an Oscar-winning filmmaker. Congratulations won, I, to you. I, I have won something that looks like an Oscar. That's, you're that's an, not a, bad going. Documentarian. Right. I won an award that a friend gave to me because they thought it would be funny, and that counts as an award. More than we got. Nobody's yeah, much more. This podcast. Mm-hmm. Where's our <laughs> Emmy? Where's Match Day Live's Emmy? I'll, I'll, buy, I'll, I'll buy one. I'll bring it on Saturday night. Please yeah. do. Please do. By the way, Sean, thank you for all the stats, too. I mean, Sean, you know, virtual stat man here who makes us all sound better when we're involved in SD Loyal pre, post, during the game. You are, you are absolutely the wizard of our Oz. Well, thank you. I, I'm much more at home talking about stats. That's my real job. So I, I feel much more comfortable talking about the numbers game. Um, although there is still a certain sense of imposter syndrome about soccer because I, I'm really a Formula One stats guy. And when I started doing the loyal stuff, it was sort of like as a weekend warrior thing um, just because I had so much experience dealing with sports statistics. Um, and I was really worried the first time I worked with Shannon McMillan, would she think I was an idiot? Because she's a World, Cup, a World Cup winner and an Olympic gold medalist. And I thought, well, if she thinks I'm an idiot, like, I'm going to be devastated. It's going to be like, oh, my God, I, I, like, I can't live this down. Somebody who's that successful. Uh, yeah, but thankfully, she's, she's, as you know, she's extremely nice and would probably never say that to anybody anyway because she's just not, she's not a mean person. So, well, I mean, not to their face. Not to their face, right. <laughs> but now, yeah, you should now, hear what she says about you on Match Day Live. Well, I was, gonna, I was about to say, now I have, a, now I have a, an IFB in my ear when I'm walking around the stadium so I can hear what they're saying when I'm not in the room. So um, I always say, guys, remember, if you're going to talk crap about me, remember to switch your microphone off first because I can hear you. Because I am listening. Um, I am Sean, listening. thank you so much for taking time, telling the story. Um, I do want to tell you, it's on my bucket list to go to an F1 race at some point. So if we can incorporate that into my life, let's make we it. Gotta, we got to work that in. Um, and by we, I mean, I'm going to rely on you for all the ends. Right. Okay. Yeah. I, I, uh, I think we're going to have two races in the U.S. It's not confirmed yet, but there's certainly a lot of talk about it. And of course. Where um, would that be? That is that Circuit of the Americas where the Austin will play um, in Austin. So that we're going to Austin. Over. Yeah. Ironically enough, I could end up back in Austin doing my real job. Out there? Well, you might be allowed there if you're going to South by Southwest. So right. Well, I, I'm certainly allowed at Circuit of the Americas because they, you know, they are the nemesis of Anthony Precourt. Um, and actually, you know, what, in all fairness, the, the Austin supporters have always been great with me, and they've said, if you want to come to an Austin game, an Austin FC game, we'll have you in the supporters section. Which to me, I felt like that was like a different kind of compliment because it was like guys you know i made a film called save the crew and sometimes it didn't necessarily make you guys look good but they felt that i told their story with enough sincerity like like i didn't try and paint them to be something they weren't you know that they said yeah we you we'll we'll save a seat for you you can you can be with us like wow that's to me that's a high compliment i I genuinely I, I was genuinely touched by that because I thought they could have said, get out of here, asshole. We don't ever want to talk to you again. <laughs> so. We'll go to a race and we'll go to a match the same weekend. Yeah. Sounds good. That, yeah, yeah that, so that'll do me. Oil question? Yeah. 
So, you know, it's a bit of unfortunate news, but we're recording on a Thursday night and the club is just announcing, unfortunately, that uh, Jack Metcalf mm. is going to be missing some time with a broken clavicle. Mm-hmm. Not great news. I don't mean to be the bearer of bad news. By the time this podcast is is posted, I'm sure that news will be out there for everybody who supports the club. That feels we've we've seen loyal do without, but they don't. This is a guy who's played more minutes than anybody. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's the club he leads the club in in minutes played in both the seasons of his existence so far. Uh, he also leads he leads the league in, um, in 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 accurate number of crosses this year as well. I was delving into that earlier today during my research for this weekend's game, um, and of course he's he's the key figure down the right side for Loyal. He, I mean he always has been since since the start of last year, and uh, it will be interesting to see where how the club patches up that 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 absence because his absence will definitely be felt. Um, you know, Jack Blake can play on the right-hand side, potentially, and, and he, Jack Blake wouldn't play right back. You know, he, he would be playing right midfield more. Um, but it, it, he'll, Metcalf will definitely, yeah, he's a, he's a big loss. Um, yeah, I, 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 when, I, when I picture the San Diego Loyal playing, it's always Metcalf on the right. You know, I, I, I can't even imagine somebody else playing in that position. So, yeah, for him, as you said, you know, he's played so many minutes for the club. He's, he, he's I think he's only been absent from the starting lineup twice ever so um yeah what well, it's going to be a whole new world on saturday and i i, I think uh, we might have a, a couple of other injury doubts as well so yeah might be a bit might be a bit of trouble there but i mean the good news is and i don't i don't want to i don't want to make merry on the fact that they're having a rough season but real monarchs are not having a great year either um so you know, now's the time to play them. I was actually studying Real Monarchs um, really in detail today, and they're a very similar. Unfortunately, unfortunately for us, they're a very similar club to Tacoma, and Tacoma oh, have very, very, yeah, very, very. Tacoma have a very, very, um, well, to use a baseball term, light hitting team. But they've beaten us twice in Tacoma. The good news for us is, of course, we're playing at home. So um, Monarchs, uh, yeah, they could. Uh, they, they, they could fall victim to the roar of the, the locals and Chavos and Rainbow locals et al. Unless they're taking over. I will tell you, uh, Thera, on this Thursday night, Jack Blake had a, uh, an appearance, an autograph signing. He was just a top gentleman, shaking hands, kissing babies, the whole shooting match. Somebody showed up with a, a Real Monarchs shirt for him to sign, which sort of surprised all of us. We had a ton of SD Loyal fans there, but we all sort of stopped dead in our tracks. Somebody showed up with a Monarch shirt and asked mm. Jack Blake to sign it, which he very kindly did, and then uh, off they went. So I don't know. Unless a whole group of people from Salt Lake City are arriving in town, I'm, I agree <laughs> with you saying there, Sean. Well, uh, Jack, Jack Blake played against the Loyal for Real Monarchs last year. If you remember the very first game when we came back from the shutdown, uh, in Salt Lake City when it was blazing hot. It was because it was a lunchtime kickoff. It was the only lunchtime kickoff Loyal have ever played, I believe. And Jack Blake had a tremendous cross from the right in that game, which Kyle Coffey managed to, managed to hit against the cross, the underside of the crossbar from about one yard out. It was an open goal. Should have been, it should have been. And he hammered the crossbar from one yard out. Um, so, yeah, Jack Blake was, he was being, you know, Jack Blake by numbers in that game, but they should have scored there. Um, so the, he, this would be his first time ever playing against Monarchs, who he played for for, what, two and a half years, I think. So, 
Uh, expect him to have another shot from outside the box. He has four goals from outside the box this year and none from inside the box. Uh, should have been a fifth this past weekend against LA Galaxy, but it deflected off Corey Herzog, which meant which made it offside, unfortunately. Um, and um, he also yeah, he has he had another goal from outside the box in his final season at Real Monarchs. So he's he is the king from greater than 18 yards out. Yeah, he's scoring against his former club. There's no question about that. That's going to be Saturday night, 7.30. Monarchs played earlier this week, everyone. They lost 3 nothing. They got hammered. Yeah. I mean, they've had such a, a bad time of things. In fact, they are among the lowest team with, with, uh, with pushing into the opposition third. Uh, they are the, the lo- one of the lowest ranked teams. Um, so they, they, are, they tend to be a low pressing team as well. So uh, expect Loyal to get plenty of time on the ball again, like they normally do. Um, but yeah, when when Real have never have not won a game this year when they've scored less than two goals. So if we can keep them to under two goals, they've lo- they've they've not won. They've only got draws and losses. So we would hope that we could keep them to at least you know keep them to one goal maximum. Yeah, we'll see what the starting eleven is though Saturday night. Yes, sir. I just want another clean sheet. I want another car wash. <laughs> That's true. Actually, I I haven't used one of those free car wash things. Do I get one? I mean, I work for the club. Do I get... I don't know if I get yeah. those things. I do? What? Okay. Well, I need to do something about that because my car looks mean, a mess right now. You haven't now. been cashing in on the free Rubio's tacos? No. I, I didn't. It didn't even occur to me. I, I've been too busy with all other stuff, getting this film finished and everything. I've had time to sit around eating tacos while my car's being washed. So Too busy being <laughs> I, a filmmaker. Yeah, exactly. And I'm not even a filmmaker. I need to get back to being like, you know, well, stats guy. Who, it's, right. It's... I need to get back to being a stats guy who ends up using up all the freebies that the club has to offer. I'm really not <laughs> making not making the most of my position within this club so far. Yeah. Sean, we do appreciate it. We'll see you Saturday night at Torero Stadium. Be a pleasure, guys. I'll see you then. There he is. The stat man and the cat man or the stat cat. Excuse me. It was the stat cat. <laughs> good stuff was that part of the podcast we chatted with sean for a while before i don't remember if that bled over into the actual podcast itself but he did have the cat with him i was the only one on the screen not not with a cat in the room i felt left out stat man and the stat cat sean's a good egg man really happy for that guy too i'm happy that he not only does this film but he goes back to columbus they have it like a real premiere in theaters and people show up and they get emotional I just think it's such an amazing story. You know, you and I have worked for a really, really long time in sports radio and I still am there. And like, I just, I want to yell at everybody and say like, this is what is possible. Like, you know, you as a fan don't have to take all this bullshit just lying down. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't know that I would have saved something here. I don't, you know, who knows? Maybe the money's just too, too different. But, you know, sometimes the thing about this sport, I think that we also love is how much of a voice the fans actually have. And that played out that way in Columbus. You know, I know it's not as simple as that, but they saved the crew. That was a really big deal. And that was great to say. And how could you not feel good about that? Yeah. Um, yeah. How could you not? The impact that the supporters had. Is it weird that it's on my bucket list to go to a Formula One race with Sean? No, I, I think you we and I. go. Yeah. Like I, I keep watching. I've been to Monaco, or as they pronounce it there, Monaco. And I've seen that course and it's incredible. And it just defines that, that wonderful city, but I'm with you. Like that's, that's a sport. And Sean will be able to recommend a documentary 
on F1 racing. He said, Hey, if you want to get into it, this is step number one. I've had this conversation with him. Mm -hmm. Watch this, watch this documentary, watch this. That'll tell you all you need to know. And then you'll be on your way. So all I know is Lewis Hamilton, but I, I am with you. It seems like it's an incredible event all around the world. So what's not to like there. Yeah. I don't know anything about it. I just think it'd be an absolute blast. It seems like an incredible event to be in person. Uh, so we do appreciate it. You can find it. Good place for it to find a uh, good place for that video to be hosted. Good stuff. The reaction has been very, very good. So Sean is very modest. Clearly he doesn't consider himself a filmmaker or anything else, but he's very, very good at what he does. If that's his one hit wonder, it's quite the hit. No doubt. Hey, uh, good luck to our uh, mate, Nate Abarea upcoming this weekend. Nate's going to be in the broadcast booth for loyal monarchs Saturday night, Fox five. So good luck to our mate, Nate. Uh, yes, I was texting with Nate a little bit earlier about this very subject, Aaron. I asked if he would be willing to shotgun a beer on match day live and then go straight up to the booth afterwards. He declined. What? You know, all of a sudden he gets promoted to the booth and people change. Hmm. Or, or is he worrying a little bit about the tab that he's going to get at the end of the year? Since we're charging motherfuckers who stop by the match day live set. No, we're not. That's a terrible vibe to put out there. I think it's amazing that Nate is already changing now that he's going to be up in the booth. Uh, not, not willing to shotgun a beer on match day live. I said, we'd give him like a proper send off. We all shotgun a beer together. He walks up the ramp. He goes to the booth. We chant his name. It'd be a beautiful moment. He rejected it. It's very sad. Mm. I bet you, I bet you there's a little wiggle room there. Yeah. Maybe he can't just like admit it or something. Yeah. I don't know, but there you go. Good luck to Nate this week. And I look forward to it. That's going to be a lot of fun. I'm stoked, man. I'm, I'm stoked for him. Stoked that he gets the opportunity with Jack Cronin on vacation. Yes, sir. Um, all right. I'll see you at Torero stadium. Oh, wait, you think you're getting off the hook? I don't think so. Mr. Yeah. Uh, yeah, good job. Uh, great podcast. Going to go cry into my Lionel Messi shirt. That's okay. Um, where did that come from? That seemed to be random, right? Did you expect news either way today? Or was that just like, Hey, here's what's happening. He's gone. Here's the, uh, here's the way the day started. All the European reporters saying Messi, his dad meeting with Barca. They want a deal done today. They want to, they want to announce this five-year deal season starts in eight days. They need to get him in there. Everybody's got urgency. They're going to get the deal announced today. That's the way all the reporters started the reporting this morning when I woke up. Oh, kind of like how Max Scherzer was on his way to the Padres. A couple of yeah, it was Ken Rosendahl reporting. A couple of hours later, it was all hell has broken loose. This isn't happening, and he's most likely engaged in talks with PSG. Huh. So, and here's a seven-minute tribute video from the club the club posting seven minute tribute videos to Lionel Messi saying well we wanted a deal the player wanted a deal but they're gonna scapegoat the league for a bunch of financial reasons that are way too boring and I don't have the interest to get into right now uh I will say this in all sincerity I'm a Barca fan uh I think it's incredibly sad that he wanted to leave the club the club wouldn't let him leave he wanted to stay with the club for whatever reason, whoever ultimately is to blame. He can't stay like, you know, that's incredibly sad. And in the middle of that all in a pandemic, 
the fans never got a chance to say goodbye to that guy. Hmm. Lionel Messi's, if it's truly over and there's skepticism that, you know, maybe this is just a power play to, you know, get the league to budge on a bunch of financial stuff. Who knows that, that many people believe that, but if this is it, that Lionel Messi's Barca career where he's been since he's a 12 year old kid in 2000 ends via fucking Twitter and fans don't get a chance to say a proper goodbye. That is, that's really tough to swallow. He was born in 88. I'm the same age as Lionel Messi. The hell am I doing with my life? <laughs> How many Ballon d'Ors do you have? Zero. Um, so he has already contacted PSG. That's the last of the reports that I saw. Um, who that, who do you have to sell on Barca to make it work? Like throw whoever you need to the fucking curb, my dude. They've tried. Nobody wants Antoine Griezmann. Nobody wants Philip Coutinho. I mean, you know, they, they're just it's terrible contract after terrible, terrible contract. And, you know, it's real. It's real shame. It's it's. it's I mean, really he's, you would dump anyone on that team to keep Lionel Messi. Everybody. Everyone. Everybody. Yeah, you'd send him to Madrid if you had to. Yeah, I mean, and they've tried. I mean, it's you know, it's just years of. of horrible management, which is why they booted their old president to the curb in a special election. And they still couldn't save it. Apparently now, again, maybe, you know, maybe this is, maybe this is all just a leverage play. We'll see. We'll seems see. like some smart people are suggesting that, but man, when the club is out there releasing seven, eight to nine minute videos, thanking him for all of the years, like, ah, all right. Well, let's end on a high note. I don't want you finishing yes. this podcast. USA, hour. USA, USA. No, no, no. We don't have time for another subject. When PSG play Barcelona in Champions League next year, who will you be supporting? I got to go. That's the question. How can you ask that? I'm hanging up.